Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, Director of Music Ministries. And during this time of transition from virtual to in-person or hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and to shape the church we are becoming. Well, I'm so excited about today's podcast. We're going to have a conversation with the wonderful, well-known, world-renowned S.T. Kimbrough Jr. Now, if you don't know about him, let me tell you a little bit about him. Reverend Dr. Kimbrough holds degrees from Birmingham Southern College, Duke University, and has a Ph.D. from Princeton Theological Seminary in Old Testament and Semitic Languages. He's taught on the following theological faculties, Princeton Theological Seminary, New Brunswick Theological Seminary, the Institute for Comparative Religion and Bonn University in Germany, the Illyricus Theological Faculty in Zagreb, formerly Yugoslavia, the Theological School of Drew University, and Wesley Theological Seminary. He is currently a research fellow of the Center for Studies in the Wesleyan Tradition of the Divinity School at Duke University, and he is the founding president of the Charles Wesley Society, started in 1990. He has authored and edited over 50 books on Wesleyan theology and hymnody, on biblical studies, music, missions, church history, plus 18 volumes of Global Song, and 10 books of poetry. I don't think he sleeps. He has been a resident of Germany much of his adult life and has a discography of over 40 solo albums as a professional baritone. He's a retired member of the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church. For 12 years before his retirement, he was Associate General Secretary of Mission Evangelism of the General Board of Global Ministries of the United Methodist Church. Welcome, ST. We are so glad that you could join us today. So we always like to ask our guests how you're doing and tell us what you're currently working on. Diana, it's so nice to see you after such a long hiatus. <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Uh, I live in Durham, North Carolina, as might be indicated by my association with the Divinity School at Duke University. My latest book just published is called The Struggle to Believe struggles with major Christian truths. And uh, I'm working on a, a book that uh, I desperately need. Uh, it's on humility. Uh, and it's <laughs> humility in the work of Charles Wesley and in the early church fathers. Uh, mm. There is so much congruence there that I have found in my studies um, among the Orthodox and the Eastern Church and and the Wesley Brothers, and um, that's one of my next projects. And then my a new uh, another book of poetry I'm working on is that I also really need to think desperately about. Is called "What Do You Think About?" Wow, 
Yeah, you've got a lot of things in the hopper. I, I held up my book here, The Struggle to Believe, because I, I ordered this. Um, I'm teaching a class on the Psalms at, right now, an undergrad class, and I thought this is this is relevant to that class. So I picked it up, and, and I really love it, and I love that you're going to do a sequel to it as well. You're very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're, we're just now announcing our new S.T. Kimbrough podcast. So we'll talk about all these different things that he's doing. It'll probably take a and whole series. Sing. <laughs> and sing as well. That's right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well that, that catalog is certainly impressive. And, and there are many things that uh, sound intriguing. We'd love to talk about. But we invited you here this time to talk about a publication, another recent publication that you did with Dean McIntyre. Right. And the title was A Theology of the Sacraments, interpreted by John and Charles Wesley, including hymns for baptism and holy communion with commentary and new musical settings. That's quite a title. Mm-hmm. It also sounds intriguing and was a labor of love, I'm sure, for you and for Dean together. And so so tell us where this came from. How did you decide to put that together? And, and what was what was your thinking uh, to, to launch this project? Having been a part of the of a couple of the consulting groups for the United Methodist Hymnal that was created in 1989 or published published in 89. Uh, I was aware that out of this marvelous volume of the Wesleys, namely Hymns on the Lord's Supper, which is such a key to an understanding of who they were and what they were about uh, in the life of the church, out of 166 hymn texts, in the United Methodist Hymnal of 89, we have two. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There, we have three others from other sources of the Wesleys, but only two from this magnificent volume. Uh, the most important English language volume, in at least lyrically, uh, on the sacraments in the English language. Mm. And uh, I've often, I've just felt all along, this somehow needs to be we need to have a larger exposure of this mm-hmm. information to, for the church. So the, the book is published, and, and where can we get a copy of the book? Yes, it's available on Amazon, and it's available on the website of the publisher, WIP and Stock, W-I-P-F and Stock, and on their website. It's also available as a Kindle book on Amazon as well. Excellent. Good. I also feel that at a time when the United Methodist Church is struggling with who it is, its own identity and what that means, I felt it was really important to look at the sacraments. The idea that the legislation of moral ideas determines what the church is, is so far from what the Wesleys really thought and sought to actualize. They really say that if you want to know where the unity of the church lies, it's in the sacraments. It's at the Lord's table. It's in baptism. Another thing that I was very aware of also is that no modern hymnal of any denomination includes a baptismal hymn of Charles Wesley. Not one. And here for the first time, we have six with new musical settings, and uh, not just because they are baptismal hymns by Charles Wesley, but what they say Mm. is so important theologically for the church. And so that was another motivation to 
bring six of these baptismal hymns with new musical settings uh, to reality. Those are some of the set some of the background. And, but it also follows on the the understanding of Methodism as being a sung theology. I served for a time in in Britain in the Methodist Church, and and they were very proud of how they learned what they're about, who they are through the songs that they sang, the hymns that they sang week by week. So walk us through the structure of the book. How, how have you set it up? Uh, there's commentary, there's songs. How, how did you put that together? I think it's easiest to say it this way. There's a prose section of the book that comes first. There's a musical section that comes second. I thought it was important also in the prose section to set up the baptismal material, then the Holy Communion material. And in the baptismal section, we have an excerpt from John Wesley's treatise on baptism. Hmm. And then we have the texts of the baptismal hymns with commentary. Then in the Holy Communion prose section, we have both from John and Charles Wesley, brief prose statements about the meaning of Holy Communion. Uh, I think Charles, most people are unaware that Charles actually wrote a brief treatise in prose about Holy Communion, in which he says that the purpose and design of the Christian church is in the Holy Communion and the Lord that we meet there. Mm. That's where our unity is and where the church lives and comes alive. And when we think of the body and blood of Christ being that which sends us out to be the persons that we can be personifying God's nature, if one wants to look at the meaning of Holy Communion in terms of the Wesleyan perspective, Mm -hmm. but in the perspective of (laughs) many, many churches, I should say, that's where we find it. You you spoke of of new hymn tunes. Did did you write these? Did you commission these? How how did the new hymn tunes come about? In my work uh, with the General Board of Global Ministries in the late or in the nineties and into two thousand and six, when I uh, retired, I had formed a, a group called the Global Praise Working Group, which was authors and composers from all around the world. And I thought that it was important also not to just have North American tunes. Mm. And while there are a significant number of people that many people across our church will know, uh, having written contemporary settings of hymns, Mark Miller and others, I thought it was important to bring in persons from other parts of the world. So we have a composer from Sweden. We have a composer from Russia. We have a composer from Singapore uh, bringing a a different musical ethos to Mm. a Wesley text. And uh, so that was the idea. Dean, certainly out of his vast experience, brought in a number of composers that I did not know. And I brought in some that he did not know. (laughs) And uh, that that gave us the constellation of composers, 20 plus, that we invited uh, to compose text, uh, compose uh, the settings for these texts. That's the part that I think is just delightful. I have a copy of this, of the sampler uh, of this book, and I actually used one of the settings um, of Charles Wesley's baptismal blessing for a hymn society hymn festival a couple of years ago. And this setting is called, Oh Christ on Earth and Heaven the Same. The 
the tune writer is Carlton Young. And of course, we all know that name. And he writes this in such a playful manner that, you know, I think one of the challenges we have in today's world of singing the Wesley text is that they feel a little heavy many times, that they're they're just not the, you know, the way the, the syntax rolls is not quite the way we hear language today. But when you can put a playful tune with the text, oh my goodness, what a new environment and sense it gives. And this one in particular, I just love. Can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe how you directed some of the composers? Well, the fun thing about that particular piece too is that you you know well that Sam or Carlton played bass in a jazz group when he was young. <laughs> <laughs> that way that tune goes. It, it, as you say, wonderfully playable. And I would love to hear it played by a jazz trio, quite mm. frankly, uh, because I think it would be delightful, you know. Um, I I didn't really direct, uh, or nor did uh, Dean direct people per se. Uh, one way this happened was this. Uh, among these tunes, there are one or two that were among the unpublished texts of Charles Wesley. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, a colleague in, in, in England and I published three volumes of Charles Wesley's unpublished poetry. And among them is this wonderful little text, truly baptized into the name of Jesus I have been and partner of his nature am and saved indeed from sin. This idea of the nature of God, uh, which is love, God is love, and this is his nature, and we become God's nature, or we should be coming his nature. It was interesting to me that a number of the composers selected texts that were related to that theme. And so we didn't just always send them texts, they had options form a number of texts to do. So the texts were generally, not, not always, but generally their choice. And so they were asked to do settings that were out of their own ethnic and cultural milieu that would express what they felt best, the ideas in that hymn. So there wasn't a lot of real direction from us per se, other than Come at this from where you are and also where you think the church can sing it. And mm -hmm. so we've got we've got pieces here that are very traditional, could be sung for, in four parts by a choir. We have some that have guitar chords that can be done in a, almost a folk type fashion. The one or two from uh, Lim Sui Hong from Singapore uh, have a, a very different, almost a one of them in particular, almost an Asian pentatonic scale feeling to it that's very, very introspective, which is wonderful for the text. So the, the variety is, I think, very, very broad and uh, delightful to me. Yeah, that was I'm so glad you mentioned that, because that was going to be my question, is that if everything was 
seen as being only congregational, but it sounds like the diversity that's in this collection allows it to be a anthem book for the choir or a solo book or an ensemble. And with added aspect of then it becomes congregational after the congregation hears it a couple of times. And I, I think that that's such a great way to go with all of that. And the one tune by Mary Jackson, uh, she designs it so it can strictly be a cappella. Piece mm. of song a cappella, mm. uh, mm. which is also quite delightful. And, and she gives very simple instructions how that could be done. I, I find that a lovely addition also. Yes. Can you know that uh, for congregations, we like the familiar. We like to sing the songs we know. And you've said these are new songs, but but is there a connection textually with Wesleyan songs? Will they sound familiar, the words? Uh, does that come through in, in these new texts? Uh, is there correlations with current hymns that, that we know and love from, from the Wesleys? Right. I would say first and foremost, well, not first and foremost, but an interesting uh, correlation is that there's only one hymn in this collection that we know in the United Methodist Hymnal. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's the one about the great feast, uh, come centers to the gospel feast. We have two settings of that, one for invitation, one for the Eucharist in the 89 hymnal. I think really what is so central and in response to your question, Derek, is this. It's very difficult to sing a Wesley hymn and come to its end without somewhere the idea of love being treated. Charles just seemed to have to insert that because this idea of God as love, and that is the nature of God, and we assume God's nature by becoming love ourselves and in, in, and personifying that love. I, 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 I was, there's one text that says, Christ in us, uh, in him and in us, this love is seen, where we are correlated with with Christ in this love, I think that is, yes, very definitely mm-hmm. in concert with hundreds of Wesley hymns that sure. we we sing, though we don't sing hundreds, but I mean, <laughs> hundreds that could be sung, if you will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, are there other uses for this book other than worship? And I, and, and I um, imagine that there is an ecumenical audience for this. I know uh, you say John and Charles Wesley, and we immediately th- think the Methodist Church, but uh, t- talk to us about the ecumenical uh, nature of this book and other uses beyond worship. Well, as you know, one of the endorsements on the back of the book is from Bishop Bowerschmidt, the Episcopal Bishop of Tennessee there in Nashville, which I was delightful at his uh, very uh, inspiring response uh, to the volume. If I were a pastor today, and I were doing a confirmation class, I would I would be delighted to take the front end of this book and because it's not so lengthy and complicated, I would be able to take one or two simple statements from John Wesley and from Charles, and then I could take a hymn or two, one for baptism, one for Holy Communion, to introduce confirmands to the idea of the sacrament of these sacraments, that is. I, I think that would be a, a, a wonderful way to use the book. That wasn't what we necessarily thought of in, in conceiving it, but I, I, the way it's turned out, I think that if I were a pastor today, I would be delighted to have that resource. 
I think certainly as a study book, whether it's done by a pastor, by a, a choir director, or a worship leader, that also it's a, would be a wonderful resource to be able to discuss the sacraments in a small group or a larger church setting, or if a pastor has a forum. Those are some ways that I, I think it certainly could be used, other than just as a songbook. Uh, I, I think it would be good, too, for us to reclaim this teaching element. So, so the book would be an inspiration to say, let's listen to all the hymns we sing. What are they telling us? Well, how is God being described in all of that? Yeah. Sometimes I think we just sing to sing, um, but, but there's, more, there's depth in that. And maybe it would challenge us as to what songs we pick. You know, do, do the songs really reflect our theology and our mm -hmm, thinking? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well said, well said. So, so where, um, where do we go from here? Um, as you were mentioning at the very beginning of this podcast, you know, we're, we've got let fewer and fewer um, of the, these texts coming into the mainline denominational hymnals. And I see this book as an attempt to, you know, raise these up and say, don't forget about these. And they're they're very useful in our time. And um, so what is, I guess, your hope for this um, and for the future of the church singing Wesleyan texts? Woo! <laughs> Just a simple question. <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh of course, uh, with the kind of background I have, uh, one of the first things I probably would do, I, I, I've thought about this a lot, but I, I'd go in the studio with a group of musicians mm -hmm. and I would put together good recordings of, the, of these songs, of these hymns, because they're, they're to, then you can really show the difference in the styles. I mean, we, we have one hymn in here with, a, with an arrangement uh, that's absolutely black gospel truly baptized in the name of jesus i have another setting that i did otherwise but uh, you can look at the page and those of us who read know that but many people won't you know right. and uh so I, I do think audio recording would be useful uh what do we do about that i, I mean i i know that there are so many different training options in the church uh, you know, I think of the annual training for new district superintendents, for example. Mm. I mean, I mean, mm. but there, and there are uh, so many other training options. And whom do you convince that this is worth doing? I think we need to seize the opportunity at the moment on this business of the unity of the church and say, folks, if we really want to claim our Wesleyan heritage, it starts with the sacraments right here. That's where, that's where we begin. We don't begin with our ideas. We don't negotiate what the church is. The church is God's. It's not ours to do with it what we darn well please. And the Wesley say, first and foremost, the nature of God determines who we are above all else. And God is love. As simple as that is, that's God's nature. We, we learn from scripture. So I, I don't have a simple answer, uh, Diana. Because we know, unfortunately, that we Methodists are perhaps the only church with an approved liturgy or approved liturgies that no one is required to use. <laughs> and therefore, we wind up having a liturgical smorgasbord according to what a pastor or worship leader decides everybody should be fed with. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I, I really feel at, at, the, at this current time in, in our church, where so many questions are being asked about what is the church? If we can't mm-hmm. find it in the sacraments, mm-hmm. as the Wesley did, not once a week or once a month, they would do it every day if they could. Mm-hmm. Yep, that and singing. <laughs> I think that brings us back to the core of who we are as Methodists. Yes, it's 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 beating the drum. It is beating the drum, and, and wondering whether or not we're we're willing to sacrifice what we think are really the important principles in the church. What the West could bring us back to. Well done. Yeah. Well, so if people want to uh, continue a conversation with you, um, how do how can they find you? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me comment uh, about the the tunes in the book, because I know that's a copyright issue that people who are interested in using things or have used uh, Mm -hmm. various other copyright options would would like to know. Every composer, the the book is published by Wittgenstock, but uh, every composer retained his or her, and there are a number of women composers here, they retained the copyright. In the book, each email for each composer is there. And so if anyone wants to use that in their own church bulletin, et cetera, they, they simply write an email to that, that person. They've all expressed their willingness to have their pieces used, but one would simply contact them. So I, I think that's important to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, and further contact. I'd like to find a way simply to make the tunes available. I do have a website. I've not posted the tunes there. That's something I obviously we need to clear with all the composers have not done that, but that is something that should be in process. Uh, Certainly one could contact me personally, just stkimbrough812 at gmail.com. That's also a possibility or, or, but I don't want to give out Dean's, but I'm sure he would be willing for people to contact him as well. Well, and what I'm hoping, St, is that maybe we can put an article together, you and I, and and Dean, and maybe have some of those other resources as links. So as people listen to this and say, "Hey, I really want to to know more about this," that maybe we can offer that on our DM website. Uh, you may or may not know, but one additional thing, though, though there is no definite plan about this at the moment, is that my son Timothy who is the Dean of Christ Church Cathedral there in Nashville, uh, is one of the composers uh, in in the book. And I know that he would like to do an introduction of the entire book there with composers if possible or with people local, locally, et cetera. If that should transpire, certainly I'd be in touch with you and see what we might do further in that regard. That's fabulous. I love that. That'd be really great. Well, thank you so much for all that you brought to us today. I leave with the one of your quotes. We assume God's nature by becoming love ourselves. I, that's going to resonate with me all day today. And I, I thank you for that. And I, we want to thank all of the people who are listening today. Thank you for joining us. And we hope this conversation has been helpful to you. Always remember that you can find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. We want you to tell us what you think, so send us an email. We'd like to have a conversation with you as well. But until next time, we will be praying for and with you and your congregation. Go in peace. 
This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.